0: I want to jump into the word this morning. If you got your Bible, open it to the book of Leviticus, chapter number 11. I'm going to be there kind of, I'll be there shortly. Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 11. Title of my message this morning is, Jesus brought home the bacon. Amen. Jesus brought home the bacon. So this week, uh, you know, the Griffith family uh, was, was here with us and shared in concert Thursday night, which by the way, those of you that were here Thursday night, how, much have, how many of you enjoyed that? I don't know how many, I know we had some visitors, but it was good, great concert. Uh, all of it was great, but there at the beginning, uh, when they led us in worship, was just fantastic. It was absolutely phenomenal, best part of the whole night in my opinion. And uh, they're doing a great work for God, but we had the privilege to uh, get to eat with them and visit with them. They've become good friends of ours. And uh, so my wife, uh, has she just went all out and cooked uh, for this family, and she put the spread on I mean we had all kinds of but what we noticed on Thursday was that every meal included bacon <laughs> we had bacon for breakfast and then we had ra- uh, bacon wrapped chicken for lunch, and then we had potato soup with bacon in it that night we didn 't plan it that way it just of just kind of way it happened and uh, we always looked but we were all kind of joking around a little bit. Um, about how much we love bacon and how thankful we are for grace. And I want to explain that. I'll explain that to you here in just a minute. But as we throughout this entire week, as I watched God do things in my own life, and I've seen God do things in the life of others, knowing that God doesn't have to do anything, Amen. If God never did another thing for you and I, He's done enough by going to the cross for us. How many of you can recognize that this morning? We like to point fingers and blame God and get mad at God when things don't work and He doesn't, you know, quote unquote, answer our prayers and do what we want. But if He would be justified if He stepped back and never did another thing in our life. But fortunately for us, God doesn't do that. His grace extends so far beyond uh, even just our salvation. So we were. Uh, We were talking about, um, you know, how great, you know, this morning I'm I'm not going to talk about bacon grease, I'm going to talk about bacon grace, all right, bacon grace, Uh, and and I told my wife last night, uh, sweetie, and and, uh, Kelsey said, so what's your message about, and I told them the the title, and they said, well, how in the world are you going to bring Jesus out of bacon? I said, you'll have to wait and see, so, um, which I got to ask you this question first before I get started, why did the pig go into the kitchen? Because he felt like bacon. See, some of you get that later. We that the phrase uh, he brought home the bacon. uh, When somebody says that, they're basically meaning they provided for their family, right? He he went to work that day so he could bring home the bacon. It doesn't literally mean he's going to go to the store and bring home bacon. It means he's providing for his family. He's working so that there's money to buy food and provisions and all of that kind of stuff. And Jesus provided for the entire human race at the cross. And I want us to see this morning that he provided for our salvation so we wouldn't have to go to hell. That's number one, first and foremost. But what he provided at the cross was so that times, Kurt, when we're going through the darkness times when we're going through the valley, times when all hell comes against us, that his grace is there to carry us through those times as well. Amen? Jesus provided every need that we have as human beings, he provided it at the cross. And so I ask you this morning, do you really understand what what Jesus did for us there at the cross of Calvary. I mean, I know yet we have a general concept, a general understanding he died for our sins and that's good. And that's, that's, that's really all you need to know. But do you really understand the fullness of what Jesus accomplished for you as an individual there on the cross. I, I hope to give you a clearer picture of that today, because here's the thing, whatever your need is this morning, every one of them, And they're all different. If we were to go around the room and say, what's your need? What's your greatest need? What's your greatest need? What's your greatest need? You think about today what that is, what that greatest need is. It was all, the answer was all provided at the cross of Jesus Christ, amen? And so I hope to give you a clearer picture, a greater and deeper revelation of what the the cross of Jesus Christ really accomplished for you and and that the cross never becomes just a token symbol to you. We as Christians, we put the crosses on our t-shirts, we put the crosses on our bumpers. Even people that don't believe in God will wear a cross around their neck at times, or maybe don't really trust in Christ. The crosses have become a token symbol. Somebody dies on the side of the road, we put up a cross, uh, military, you know, all the guys that they that you know die in those in those cemeteries, they put up a cross and it has become a token symbol. But there's more to it than that. It's not just a token symbol. It is our life. It is our eternity. Everything we are, have and need is all provided through what Jesus Christ did at that cross. So so what I want to do is just backtrack this a, a little bit so that you can understand. Uh, what Jesus did, okay? So first of all, if you go back, now you don't have to turn there just yet. You should be in Leviticus 7. We'll get there in a minute. But I want, I want to explain to you real quick. We're going to kind of go, we're going to go into Bible study mode for just a moment, okay? I'm going to give you some information. I'm not going to go into great details, but I'm going to give you enough information where this makes sense. I want to talk real quickly about the demands that, that the Old Testament law put on mankind, okay? So when you go into the Old Testament if you were to, to pick up, if you were to start, you don't have to turn there, but if you were to go to the book of Exodus chapter 19, the book of Exodus is the second book of the Bible. If you were to go to Exodus chapter 19 and then go to Deuteronomy chapter 30, I know I've got it up here, so if you can look and see, that's a pretty good chunk of Bible, Okay, so that's, that's ex, the end of Exodus, that's throughout the whole book of Numbers, the book of Leviticus, and on into the book of Deuteronomy. We find here the, the law of God that God gave to the Jewish people through Moses on Mount Sinai, okay? So the law that God gave, okay, you go through Exodus and God is giving the law, and I'll talk about what that is, and then you get over into Deuteronomy, which literally means the second law, it's, it's literally Moses repeating the law unto God. Now, that is probably not going to be your most exciting Bible reading, this little section right here that I'm look, that we're looking at is the part that we have a tendency to go, oh, I do it, blah, 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 you know, and it, because it's just it's so confusing and meaty, and we don't understand it from our 21st century thinking. But what I want you to understand, just I'm gonna I'm gonna boil all of this down, and it was very detailed, but I'm gonna boil it all down and just to give you an idea of what kind of laws were included in God's law in the Old Testament. Number one, the Ten Commandments were in there. I'm not going to belabor those. Most of you know those. Don't steal, don't kill, don't uh, commit adultery, and uh, don't lie, and all those types of things. So in the law, God established the Ten Commandments for one, but there were laws in there about slavery, laws about social injustice, laws about the, uh, the construction and the operation of the tabernacle, which was basically, basically like a portable church. Um, There were laws in there about the Sabbath year. So you know what the Sabbath day is, right? We work six days and on the seventh day we rest. So God built Sabbath into the entirety of the law, even the land. So by God's law, this wasn't optional, okay? This This was a command of God. If you had a patch of land, you worked it and you grew crops in it for six years. But on the seventh year, you had to leave it dormant. You had to allow the ground to rest. That was part of God's law. Okay, they, there were laws in there about uh, the year of Jubilee. That, that This was kind of cool. At the end of every 50 years, everything kind of reset. If you had debt, uh, if you owed money, and, and at the end of the 50 years, whatever you owed, the debt was canceled. How many of you would like that? If if you went to the, one of the banks here in town, you signed up for a 30-year, well, I guess for a 30-year mortgage... the. The Jubilee is not going to help you. It's every 50 years. But, but, but you get the point. It's like all of a sudden, boom. It's, but then if you had purchased land, that land would go back. There's a whole bunch of stuff involved in that. But that was part of God's law. So you read through that. It's kind of confusing. But it was the year of Jubilee. They celebrated. Hey, my debts are canceled. I think I would probably celebrate too. There were laws in there about offerings, different offerings that they had to offer up to God. Burnt offerings, peace offerings, uh, uh, sin offerings. And it had to be done a certain way. If you commit this kind of sin and you're poor, then you take turtle doves and you offer them as a sacrifice. Or if you you commit this kind of sin, you take an ox and you offer it. So all of the the laws and the rules were set out in in intricate detail and they had to be followed exactly. Everybody say exactly. There was no wiggle room in the law of God. There were no loopholes in the law of God. It had to be followed exactly the way God laid it out. There were laws about diseases, like leprosy. If you contain leprosy, by law, you had to leave town. You couldn't just stay living in, in your house in town. Let's say in the day of Willow Springs, you get leprosy. There's a little colony outside of Willow Springs. That's where all the lepers have to go live. And you can't just, you can't just stay where you're at. And if you come to town, you have to wear this cloak, and, and you're walking down the sidewalk, and you have this leprosy. It was a nasty disease, if you don't know what it was. I mean, literally, your skin would just kind of rot, uh, your, your skin turned white fingers would fall off and you're, it was nasty and it was very contagious and so if you're if i'm walking down the road and i have leprosy and i see somebody meeting me i'm over here in front of vintage floral and i'm walking down the road and somebody's meeting me i by law according to god's law i am required to say i'm unclean i'm unclean i have to give them fair warning so that they they can go to the other side of the street if they want to they don't have to get close to me that was god's law there were laws about diseases there were laws about bodily discharge, and you do not even want to know what that was all about. There were laws about providing for the poor. When a, when a rich man, a wealthy man would, would, uh, uh, would uh, cut his crops, his hay, and all that kind of stuff, they were required by law to leave a little bit of it on the outskirts of the fields so that poor people could come in and pick up what was left over. That was the law. <clears throat> There were laws about redeeming property, about keeping feasts, all kinds of different feasts and celebrations that they had to do. Uh, and all in the, the main thing about all of the law it had to be kept, how, how close to exactly? It had to be kept exactly, perfectly, and there was punishment for disobedience, punishment for not keeping it. There were things in the law, how many of you ever, have you ever heard the phrase, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth? All right, how many of you go around quoting that when you want to punch somebody in the face after they've done something bad to you? Well, the Bible says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. It does say that in the Old Testament, okay? But Jesus comes along and says, I know you've heard an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth, but I'm telling you, love your neighbor. Forgive them. Turn the other cheek. But that's another message for another day. In the old law, it was an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth. If me and Chris get in a fight, I punch him and I poke his eyeball out, then they come and poke my eyeball out. If I knock his tooth out, they knock my tooth out. Whatever I do to somebody, it's going to be done to me. That was the law of God. He created it that way, and it had to be fulfilled to the T. To the now, to get, getting to my point here, to bring the bacon in, okay? There were, there were laws about food. Now, if you're in Leviticus chapter 17, you, you couldn't just go to the grocery store and buy whatever you ought to. They had to eat a certain way. There, were, there was a difference in clean animals and unclean animals. Now, if you turn to Leviticus chapter 11, I'm not going to just like, I want to read this. I want to read through this uh, kind of speedily, kind of quick. Everybody's laughing. Did I say something bad? Seven. Is it eleven or is it 17? seventeen? I, I said eleven. Leviticus seven. That's what I said. Leviticus eleven. So, <laughs> A bit, thank you. Ruth is correct. She was paying attention. It's Leviticus eleven. Bunch of goobers. I, I said eleven. And I said 17 2. And seven? seven. Well, just pick one of those. It probably says the same thing. I told you from from Exodus all the way to Deuteronomy, we're talking law. So you pick any of those scriptures I gave you, and it'll be pretty close. (laughs) Leviticus chapter 11, verse 1. I'm going to read this fast, which doesn't surprise you, I know. But I I want to make... I just want you to see the point of what this law, how confusing it is. And again, this is why we skip over it a lot. Uh, But I want you to see it so that it'll make more sense when I get to my point here in a minute. So the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying to them, "'Speak to the people of Israel, saying, "'These are the living things that you may eat among all the animals that are on the earth. "'Whatever parts the hoof and is cloven-footed and chews the cud among the animals, you may eat.'" Nevertheless among those that chew the cud and or part the hoof you shall or that excuse me among those that chew the cud or part the hoof you shall not eat of these the camel because it chews the cud but does not part the hoof it's unclean the rock badger because it chews the cud does not part the hoof i don't, I don't think anybody was concerned that they couldn't eat a rock badger that doesn't even sound good but anyway you couldn't eat one Uh, because it chews the, uh, blah, 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 verse six, and the hare, because it chews the cud, but does not part the hoof, it is unclean to you. And the pig, because it parts the hoof and is cloven-footed, but does not chew the cud, it is unclean to you. You shall not eat any of their flesh, and you shall not touch their carcasses, they are unclean to you. These you may eat, all of that which is, which is in the waters, everything in the waters that has fins and scales, whether in the seas or in the rivers, you may eat. But anything in the seas or the rivers that does not have fins and scales, uh, meaning catfish, you wouldn't be able to eat a catfish because it doesn't have scales, of the swarming creatures in the waters and of the living creatures that are in the waters it is detestable to you, you shall regard them as detestable, you shall not eat any of their flesh you shall detest their carcasses, everything in the waters that uh, does not have fins and scales is detestable to you these are the uh, these you shall detest among the birds, they shall not be eaten, they are detestable, the eagle, the bearded vulture, the black vulture the kite, the falcon of any kind, any raven of any kind, the ostrich, nobody wants to eat an ostrich anyway, but you can't eat one, the night hawk, the seagull the hawk of any kind, the little owl, the coromont, whatever that is, the short-eared owl, the barn owl, the tawny owl, the carrion vulture, the stork, the heron of any kind, the hoopoe? What in the world is a hoopoe? I have no idea what a hoopoe is. And the bat. Can't eat a bat. Look here. All winged insects that go on all fours are detestable to you. Any insect that goes on all four you can't eat it. It's detestable. How many can testify, I think eating any insects would be detestable. However, according to the law of God, yet among the winged insects that go on all fours you may eat. Those, as long as they have jointed legs above the feet, what would that be? Well, he goes on and explains, which uh, have uh, legs jointed above the feet with which to hop on the ground. What do you think that might be? The grasshopper of them you may eat, the locust of any kind, the bald locust of any kind, the cricket of any kind, the grasshopper of any kind. But all of the winged in- insects that have four feet are detestable to you. And by these you shall become unclean. Whoever touches their carcasses and blah, 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 and goes on and on and on. So you get the point. You couldn't just eat anything. By God's law, the only animal you could eat that was considered clean and acceptable to eat, it had to have a cloven hoof or a divided hoof, split hoof, and it had to chew the cud. Okay? So you can, you know, if you don't know what he, chewing the cud is, if you look out in a field and a cow's going, it's chewing its cud, Okay? Can we explain what cud is? No. It had to chew the cud, and it had to have s- split hooves. So a cow does both, has split hooves, and it chews cud, you can eat it. A deer, split hooves, chews the cud, you can eat it. A pig has a split hoof, but it does not chew its cud. Therefore, a pig was considered unclean, and you could not eat it. According to the law of God, to eat bacon bacon. was literally to break the commandment of God, just as if you committed adultery or stole the law of God said, no bacon. Lord have mercy. No bacon. That's why when we were eating bacon all day long, we were thinking, thank God for your grace. Grace, grace, wonderful grace, right? No bacon, no pork chops, no ham, There's another place, I didn't read this, but there's another place where it says you can't eat anything in its blood. No blood. That means if you were gonna eat a steak, it had to be well done. That's just that's horrible to me. I mean, the only way to eat a steak is so that when you're done eating it, there's a little pool of blood in the bottom of the plate. How many of you can say amen to that? How many of you with me? Amen. It's the only way to eat a steak. That's where the flavor's at. But that's how I eat them. But if I was to eat one like that, As a Jew in these days, I would be breaking the law of God because I'm eating something, I'm eating the blood. So, all of that brings you to the question probably, why? I mean, good grief. God, what's the big deal? I mean, why would God... I mean, isn't there bigger things to worry about, God? I mean, you know, people out there killing one another and war and, uh, you know, and, uh, and all of these things that's going wrong in the world, and you're, wondered, you're worried about whether or not somebody's eating bacon. Why? What's the purpose? And here's, here's the main purpose. Okay, I'm gonna, and again, this is big, it's deep, and it's involved. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to boil it all down to this. In Galatians chapter 3, verses 24 and 25 says this. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith, but after the faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster, okay? The whole purpose of the law, every part of it, God established it, because here's the bottom line, God is a perfect and a holy God, okay? With no fail, with no error. And so God says, I'm going to establish this law and you, if you want to be holy like me, if you want to be perfect, you have to do every single bit of this law perfectly. Now we find in the New Testament, the Bible says, if you break one part of the law, you've broken all of it. So if, it, I mean, let's say you get it all down. I mean, you're doing everything by the letter. You're doing the offerings right. You're doing the feasts right. You're, you're, you're doing all of the law right, but then you just, but bacon is your weakness, You do it all, but you eat some bacon. You have broken the entirety of the law. You had to do it perfectly. Why, God? Why would... Here's the thing. God is wanting to point out to the human race just how unholy and how imperfect we are. It contrasts, okay, a perfect and holy God against imperfect and unholy people. And so... It shows, the law shows us, it proves to us our sinful and rebellious nature. It proves to us we cannot perform to a level of perfection that will please God. It's like God set that, that, that bar so high that nobody could ever accomplish it. Not one person was ever able in the history of mankind to keep this law 100% completely. And there was, that was the purpose. What, what Paul is explaining here in that verse I read in Galatians, he said the law is our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ. Now now school, school you, you, you know what, you know what uh, the ends and the means are, right? The ends and the means. The means is the method that you use to get to the end result. So school, let's look at it from this perspective. School is not the end all be all. We were not created. Life is not all about. School. School is about preparing us for life. You see my point? We weren't created so that we'd go to school. We were created so that we would live life and that we would have jobs and the work, and school prepares us for life. School's important, but it's not the main event. And so the law is the schoolmaster of grace. God did not establish the law. God did not create us so that we would keep all of these rules. The purpose in the, the, the law or the school was to prepare us for the for salvation through Jesus Christ. What we find through all of this, God established all this to show us that we're lawbreakers, to show us that we in no way can perform to the pleasing of a holy and perfect God. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. So here's the thing. I talked about the consequences. If we do not, if we didn't, if they didn't keep the law right, there were consequences. And ultimately, the Bible says it like this: the wages of sin. What is sin? It's a breaking of God's law. It's what sin is, and we've all done that. So the wages of sin is death. Sin brings about death and. The law condemns us in our sin, and it brings about death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So what happened then, I want you to hang a major right to the book of Hebrews. Now, we have uh, been studying Hebrews on Wednesday nights for the past several weeks. We haven't quite got to chapter 10 yet. In fact, I'm not sure we've gotten to chapter 5 yet. Uh, Get in on that study, by the way. If you haven't been coming on Wednesday nights, uh, come and get in on it. Hebrews is a deep book. There's some good stuff in there. And the, whole, the book of Hebrews, the, the whole purpose of it is to show how great and awesome Jesus Christ is. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than the law. He's greater than the prophets. He's greater than the angels. Jesus is everything. And that's what Hebrews ultimately does. It lifts Jesus up. So in the book of Hebrews, chapter number 10, here's what we we'll find. Verse number five. Did I say it right this time? Chapter 10, verse five. Got it? All right. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. The bottom line: what Jesus is ultimately saying is, God, it was it was never about what you could eat and not eat. That's not what God was after. It's not the sacrifices and the offerings that really pleases God. It's a people who will do His will. Right? Even David said that. He said, God, if it was really burnt offerings you were after, I'd give you thousands of them. But you're looking for a broken and a contrite heart. You're just looking for people who will surrender to your will. So Jesus is putting this all in perspective. Okay? This is one reason why the Jews came so hard against Jesus. They said, oh, you're going against God's law. And Jesus said, no, I am fulfilling it. I'm taking all of God's law, all of its requirements, all of its punishments for not following the requirements i'm taking all of it and i am fulfilling it i'm bringing it to a close i'm fulfilling and meaning if if the wages of sin is death if death is the major punishment for sin jesus said i'm going to take your punishment i'm going to die in your place therefore i'm going to fulfill the law So in Hebrew, Jesus is saying it's not just the sacrifices. It's not just the offerings. It's not just the performance. It's not just your church attendance today that God's looking for. Sure, it's great. We need to to do the works of Christians. We need to be involved in worship. We need to be helping people and doing good for the poor and and all these types of things. But that's not why Jesus saved us so that we would just do, do, do and, and try to earn his favor. Jesus died for us and saved us for one purpose only. It's because he loved us. That's it. Jesus said, you're looking for someone who will accomplish your will. And verse 8 says, "When, when he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these according to the law that we just got done talking about. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first order to establish the second. He does away with the first order to establish the second. What does that mean? He does away with the Old Testament to make way for the New Testament. He does away with the old law that brings about death in order to make way and prepare us for the new way, the New Testament that brings about life in Jesus Christ. The whole purpose of the law was so that Jesus Christ could save us. And by that, and by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. I love that phrase. Once for all say it say it with me once for all one time see here under the old law every year every year had to bring a sacrifice to the priest he would go into the tabernacle and he would offer a sacrifice for the sins of the people for that year every year boom 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 over you who's making who's making the sacrifice for their sin the people were they were sacrificing for their own sin. I sinned, I broke God's law, and now I'm going to pay for it by bringing the sacrifice. But Jesus, one time at the cross, for all, for every man, woman, boy, and girl, for every race, for every social uh, uh, level, you, you name it, for one time, for all people, Jesus fulfilled the law and offered that sacrifice so that we could all be free. we all one day could have life eternal. Now, I love this. If you go into, uh, the Jews, you read the first part of, uh, uh, well, you read through Acts. um, After Jesus has died, he's resurrected, he's gone back to the Father, and now the disciples are preaching and they're carrying on the gospel. And so the disciples were all Jewish. The disciples all knew very well, you know, about this law. and, And everybody had such a, the Jews had such a hard time transitioning from this, keep the law, keep the law, keep the law, to, God just loves you, just trust him and believe in him and you'll be saved. And they're trying to make this transition and so here's the thing, in this day and time, you were either Jew, uh, you know anybody know what a Gentile is? A Gentile is anybody that's not Jewish. There were two ki- kinds of people. I mean, there was all kinds of different nations and stuff like that, but basically on the earth two kinds of people, Jews, Gentiles. You were either a Jew, you were a descendant of Abraham or you were a Gentile, you were just everybody else, right? We're, the Gentiles were the mutts of the world, okay, and the, the Jews are the ones that had access and had the blessings of all of this law, and the Gentiles were, were left out. And so Peter, one day, you read about this in Acts chapter 10. We're not going to turn there. But Peter, one day, he's, he's at this guy's house, and he goes up, he's up on the roof, and it's getting close to dinner, dinner time. He's getting hungry. And as he's kind of praying, the Bible says he kind of falls into a bit of a trance. He's in this. He's in prayer. God's about to show him something. And in this, during in this chant or this trance, his vision. He has. He's hungry. And in this vision, he sees this sheet that is that is kind of lowered down from heaven. As this sheet comes down from heaven, there are all kinds of animals in it. Unclean animals. Okay? Animals that normally, according to the law, you could never eat. There was a pig in there. There was a rabbit in there. All of the things that were unclean and not fit according to the law of God, these animals were in this sheet, in this vision. And, and God speaks to, to Peter, and he said, Peter, remember, he's hungry. It's almost dinner time. And I know it's getting close to so that, I'm trying to hurry. It's uh, getting dinner time. And so this voice speaks to him and says, Peter, rise, get up, kill and eat, okay? God is telling Peter, grab you some of that bacon, right? I mean, eat one of these animals, and Peter says this, he says, oh, no, no, I'm, I'm not gonna, I've never eaten anything unclean. They're, they're unclean animals, I'm not, I can't eat those. Three times God says this very thing, rise, kill, and eat, and three times Peter says, I don't, I'm, not, I'm getting mixed messages here, God, we're not supposed to eat it, now you're telling me to eat it, and so what happens is this, when Peter kind of comes to and, and the vision's over, there's a knock on the door. And when they go to the door, there are three men there who are Gentiles. They're not Jewish people. And this, that's a whole story in itself. You can read about it in, in, in Acts chapter 10. But God had led those Gentiles there so that Peter could tell them about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now normally, in old times, a Jew would want nothing to do with a Gentile. Two weeks before that happened or a year before that happened, Gentiles come to Peter's house and say, hey, we, we need you to come with us and tell us, about, you know, tell us about God. Peter would have been like, forget you. I'm not supposed to associate with you. But because of this vision, he realized that God was telling him that God loves everybody. God said, what I have sanctified, what I have blessed, don't call it common and unclean. Peter's realizing in this moment, every single human being wants for all, every human being is loved by God and has access to salvation through God, and so He realized that now, after all of this time, Gentiles are accepted, and to our glory, so is bacon. Right? So is bacon. God's not interested. It's not. It wasn't about it. Never. Jesus dying on the cross was never a. About, the law was never about what you get to eat or not eat. And so when Jesus died on the cross, he fulfilled the law. And what God is saying is you can't earn my salvation now based on what you eat or how you dress or what you do. Everything now is established by grace. It's established by your faith that I love you enough. And so Peter, I, I don't know, you know, Peter went to the house of Cornelius. He went with these Gentiles and he went and he preached to them. He realized they're accepted by God. I'm no longer ever supposed to shun a human because of what nationality they're from. And he preaches the gospel to them, and Cornelius, all of those Gentiles got saved. It's a glorious, glorious thing. And now the Bible doesn't say this, but I would almost bet money. He said, after the revival service was over and everybody got saved and baptized, I would almost bet money. Peter said, fry up some bacon. I've smelled it before. It smells glorious, I've always wanted to try it, but I never would try it. But since Jesus paid for my sins and I'm no longer bound by all of this law, oh, fry up the bacon. Jesus brought home the bacon, literally, providing for us in our salvation, but making it so that we're not just, you know, and and here's the thing. Okay, now Jesus didn't just die on the cross just so that we could eat bacon, okay? Eating bacon is the icing on the cake, which is also good with bacon. But anyway, it's the, the, that, Jesus didn't say, okay, I'm going to die on the cross so that everybody can, can eat bacon now. That obviously wasn't the, the purpose. That was a nice side effect. And um, now when I go to the steakhouse or when I've got a, 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 a steak on the grill, I can cut it and when I see the blood run, I can put it on my plate and I can eat it. I don't have to worry about that. I'm not under conviction now because I'm eating a medium rare steak. I'm under grace God's not looking for my performance. He's not looking for me to do this and do that and do this in order to be holy and acceptable. No, 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 I am holy and acceptable before God only because Jesus Christ took care of my sins for me. Amen? Hallelujah. So I want you to turn. I'm going to bring this to a close here. Uh, in Ephesians chapter number two. Nobody, nobody preached this way like Paul did. Paul did. Okay, every letter that Paul wrote, every church he talked to, in fact, he was warning them constantly, whatever you do, don't mix law and grace. Okay, the Jews were coming along saying, okay, well, Jesus died for us and that's how we're saved, but you also still have to be circumcised, you still have to, you know, you still can't eat pork and you still can't and you still, and you have to, and and so they were trying to add all of these rules to grace. And how many of you know the church in a lot of ways is still trying to do that today? And all these religious traditional rules to grace. And, and Paul is just hammering and hammering and hammering in all of his writings. It is all about the grace of God, period. Jesus fulfilled the law. And so I love Ephesians chapter 2. As, as Peter is talking, he's writing. These Ephesians are Gentile people okay, that have been saved and they believed in the gospel. Look at this. I just, I just want you to let the, these, the scripture just soak down into your soul today. Okay? Cuz what we find throughout scripture is that if if we could have if we could earn salvation, if we could earn God's love by keeping the law, then Jesus died in vain. If we could do it ourselves, there was no reason for Jesus to die. But we can't do it ourselves. And so that's what Peter's talk, or Paul's talking about here. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. Everybody got that? And you who were dead in trespasses and sins, cuz sin, right? The wages of sin is Death. So you who, is, though you were alive physically, spiritually you were dead because of your sin. Dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, which is the devil, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. We've all been sinners, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. Like the rest of mankind, all of us have a sin nature that makes us natural-born lawbreakers. We cannot save ourselves because we cannot be perfect. But God, everybody say, "But but God. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses or sins, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. That's it right there. Everybody say that verse with me. For by grace you have been saved through faith. What, you know what grace is? I think the technical definition they say is unmerited favor. What does that mean? It means undeserved, unearned favor, unearned love. If you deserve to go to jail, say I'm a judge. You deserve to go to jail. You broke the law. But I decided to let you go instead. I've given you grace. You deserve jail, but I'm not giving you what you deserved. I'm giving you grace. That's what God did. We deserved hell. We deserved death and to be banished from God for all eternity. But instead of giving us what we deserved, he gave us grace. (laughs) Hallelujah. He gave us love. He gave us forgiveness rather than what we deserve. For by grace, you have been saved. Not through the law, not through keeping rules. By grace, by God's grace, you've been saved. By faith, by you trusting in it, by you believing in it, Jesus said, everybody knows John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. By faith, we trust that God, through the cross of Calvary, has eliminated my sins. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not by works, lest any man should boast, the Bible says. If our salvation was based on our performance and how how well we do, we could brag about it. See, Dirk, he would say, well, I got saved because I gave this much of my money to the poor, I, my attendance record at church is 95%, and I did this, and I did this, and you're just saved by the skin of your teeth because you didn't do as much as I did. That's what would happen. Not with Dirk, he's, he's a humble guy. But, but uh, human, the human nature, it's not of works. It's not of keeping the law, lest any man should boast. We would brag about it. We have to understand that we are only saved by God's grace. It's all because of Jesus. Man, when Tony Griffith sang that song, It Took the Cross, I thought I was gonna be raptured. I literally thought I was gonna, it took, I could just see Jesus on the cross. Everything, all of life, all of society, everything that happens within the church walls and outside, everything about life is about the cross of Calvary. It's all about Jesus. God is not, looking for performance. He's looking for us to accept that gift. God is not a hostile God that is angry all the time. He's a loving father who is always providing for his children. Amen? My goodness, I could just keep on going, but I won't. How many of you think of Bacon Grace? Amen? You know, we were talking about this. One of the guys in Tony's group said, uh, we were talking about bacon grease. He said, yeah, one thing about bacon grease, you don't want to throw it away, right? You you fry up bacon, you know, it makes its own grease, and there are so many more uses for that, right? I mean, you cook up a big old pot of green beans, it's not even fit to eat until you throw some bacon grease in there, right? It has, yes, it fries the bacon, but it has other purposes you put it in the green beans you fry up your eggs in it you know you you can you can grease your axles with it I mean so many different so many different uses there is for bacon grease we do not throw it out and um but bacon grace works somewhat the same way the grace of God saves us that's its initial work in our life it saves us cleanses us of all of our sins so that we have the promise of eternal life but how many of you know the grace of god is for daily use so many more purposes our healing our encouragement our provision anything good that happens in your life even everything good that you do if you're able to go up if you're able to get up every morning and go to work and make a living and bring home the bacon for your family that is an act of god's grace he gave you the strength and gave you the ability to do it. If, if, if you are sick and God heals you, it's not because, oh, you're this great Christian and he owes you a favor. It's if he heals you at all, it's because of his grace. Every provision is about God's grace and we need it every day. We need his grace to be saved, but we need his grace every day just to live. Amen? In one moment, if God was to just lift his grace off of this world, do you know what would happen? You think the world's bad now? Think about how bad this world is with God's grace here. But our sin has all, got it all jumbled up. The only thing that keeps this entire world, this planet, this universe spinning is because God's grace is upon it. The moment. See, this is what the end of time, this is what it's all basically about. There'll be a day when God is just gonna lift his grace. He's gonna take his people home, lift his grace off the world, and then, poof, it's it's over. The second he lifts his grace... We're done. Everything is about God's grace. So I'm going to end with this. I think I said that a minute ago, but I really do mean it this time. If you go on down there just a little bit further, I think verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, by that which is called the circumcision, which is made by the flesh by hands, remember that you were, and this is the key, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, everybody say, but now. But now, because of but God, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. We as human beings were at one time separated from God. Now, if you go back, If I was to read this, in Exodus, the 19th chapter, where the law really begins when God starts giving the law, the Bible says Moses was the only person allowed to go up the mountain. All the rest of Israel had to stay back. God said to Moses, this is what God said. God said, look, you you set up a barrier around the mountain and do not let those people come close to me. If they come past that barrier, they will be struck dead. This is law, okay? Again, God's doing all of this for a purpose. It wasn't because he hated them. In fact, it was because he loved them. There was a distance between sinful man and holy God. You can't come up into the presence of God. The only reason he let Moses up there was so that he could give the law. Sinful man cannot come before a holy God. We were far off, far away from God. But through Christ, at the cross, we are brought near, we are brought close. Now, we can have a relationship with that holy God. Even though we're still humans and susceptible to failure, we can rest assured that God loves us and that we can pray to him and that we can sense his presence and he's there for us, not because of our performance, but because of his love and because of his grace. Amen? There was a lady. I'm closing this all up so it's proof that I'm quitting. There was a lady we read about in the scripture. You all know it's familiar. Most of you probably do, but this lady... Uh, the 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 Pharisees, the church people, they weren't godly people. They were just church people, and they found this lady who was uh, had been caught having adulter- having a relationship, an adulterous relationship. I mean, they caught her right in the act. There was no denying it. And they grabbed this lady, and they bring her before Jesus, and they throw her down right in the middle. Everybody's standing around. They throw her down in the dirt. And they're just looking at her as scum. She's a sinful woman. She committed adultery. And throw her down and and they looked at Jesus and they said to Jesus, Moses and the law that we just got done talking about, the law says that she is to be stoned. And that is absolutely correct. That's what the law said. If somebody was to, it was supposed to be the man and the woman. If somebody was involved in an adulterous act under the law of God, Punishment happened right now. And they were to be stoned. And they said to Jesus, the law says she's to be stoned. What do you say? Because Jesus here, he's coming along talking about how the law is fulfilled and God's love and all that kind of stuff. They're trying to trip Jesus up in his words. The law says she's gotta be stoned. What do you say? And thank God for what Jesus said. First of all, Jesus bends down and he starts writing in the dirt. Doesn't really say what he was writing. He's just doodling, writing in the dirt. And he says, didn't even look up at him. He just says, I'll tell you what. And Jesus knew that the law, according to the law of God, I mean, that's true. She's supposed to be stoned. He just says, you know what? You're right. Whichever one of you guys has no sin in his life, you've lived perfect, you've kept the law exactly. Remember, he had to keep the law exactly, all of it. Whichever one of you guys have kept the law exactly with no fail, Go ahead and stone her. Pick up a rock, throw it at her. Stone her. (laughs) These guys all got stones and rocks in their hands, you know. And all of a sudden, you just hear this plop, 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 as they just drop the stones. And they all turn around, and they all walked off. Why? Why didn't they stone her? They knew in their hearts they was just as much a sinner as she was. They didn't have no right to throw stones at her. They had also broken the law of God. And when they all left, and it's just Jesus and the lady. Moses says she's got to be killed. The law says she's got killed. What do you say? This is what Jesus said. As he looked at this sinful woman who had broken the law and said to her, where are your, where are your accusers? Those who are condemning you, where are they at? And they all left. And Jesus said this, neither do I condemn you. <laughs> Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Jesus didn't die on the cross to make excuse for our sins. He died on the cross to deliver us from our sins. Amen? Yeah, you're worthy of death according to the law. But Jesus knew that's the whole reason I came. To die on the cross, I will die for your sins. I will take your stoning for you. It's literally what he did. You deserve to be stoned for your sin. I haven't sinned, but I'll take your stoning for you. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Because of what Jesus said, you and I, you may say, I never committed adultery. I never done nothing that bad. It's all the same in the eyes of God. We all stand before God as sinners. I'm going to ask everybody to bow their heads and close their eyes this morning. And you may look at your life and you may say, yeah, I've been a pretty decent person. I'm better than, I know this person and that person that goes to church. And they're just deceptive. And, you know, I know these, I see those hypocrites in church and those people and that, and blah, 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 blah. Okay, let God deal with them. Let's just kind of, that, that's not our business. Let God deal with the hypocrites. We all got a little hypocrisy in us if we're going to be honest with ourselves. That's why we need grace. So don't compare yourself to others this morning. Just look at yourself today and say, Yes, I am a sinner. I've broken God's law, I've lied before. I've. Been involved in sexual sins, I've been involved in drunkenness, and I've gossiped, I've been prideful, I've loved money over people. I mean, you name it, the list of sins goes on and on and on. And you can just admit today, I've done my share of sinning, maybe for the first time today, or maybe it's a reminder to you that that sin separates you from God if you don't know Jesus as your Savior you still bear the responsibility of paying for that sin. Which means that if you die without Jesus, hell is the only thing we have to look forward to. God's too holy to let sin go unpunished. It's not because he's mad or angry or he wants to. It's, he would rather save you. God's wrath is mighty, but his grace is mightier. He would rather save you. So as they sing this morning about grace, I'm gonna ask everybody just to Search your own heart this morning. Let God talk to you this morning.